God and a big halo above our head and we'll be so much wiser, uh, if that's possible. And uh, ah, just kidding, just kidding, but it will be good. It will be good. If you've got a Bible <coughs> with you this morning, um, then just, just get it ready and I'll tell you where to turn to in a second. If you don't, then get it up on your phone or your tablet or whatever, that's fine. Um, the last couple of weeks, I felt like I'm the vegetable bomb man. You know those, anyone see potato guns where they put potatoes in and they shoot potatoes? You ever made a, you, you must have made a potato gun at some point, yeah? And you shoot potatoes. I feel like I've got a vegetable gun. And everywhere that I've been going, last three or four weeks, all I feel like God is laying on my heart is vegetables, you know? And some, no one really likes, you don't want to just, you can't just keep eating vegetables. And I'm aware of that, but God keeps dishing vegetables up to me. And so, I was really looking forward today to come before you and have a, you know, a, 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 a cherry ripe message, a Snickers, uh, a Cadbury's mint chocolate, I love mint chocolate, message, something like that today, you know, a bag of Doritos, burger rings. But unfortunately, I just keep feeling like God's saying we're in a season of vegetables. Um, so I'm going to get out my vegetable gun again. I apologise up front if you're sitting here going, another vegetable message. Um, I, was, I was blessed this week because I put, I don't know how many of you read the post on Facebook, but I put the, I always get on um, Sunday afternoon, Monday, Tuesday, as soon as I can, and I'll just put a little blurb about what we've preached on Sunday. And I put it on the Arise Facebook page and you get, you know, views and stuff. And I was saying to Jackie the other day how I feel like I really want to talk something up and but I just keep feeling like God is giving me vegetables. And she said to me, well, it can't be going too bad because the Facebook post at the moment, has the, the one I put on from last week, has the most number of views and comments and stuff. There's over 200 people, 225 people or something have jumped on, huh? Huh? Not just four, no, there's 200 and something people have jumped on. And yeah, you have little faith. 200 and something people have jumped on and looked at it and, and commented and things like that. So maybe, maybe people are enjoying a season of vegetables at the moment. So anyway, either way, I'm going to give you some more vegetables today. Something to think about. I wonder whether the word of God to us is not maturity. And I'm feeling like it is. I'm feeling like God is saying to us, and I don't probably believe it's just us. I feel like it could really be something that God is trying to get through. And I actually had some pastors contact and go, you know what, you must be reading my mail because I'm feeling like God's saying the same thing to me and stuff with their churches. And I wonder whether God's not calling us to a place of maturity, whether God wants us to be big people as Christians, you know, not just little people Christians, but he, he, maybe he's, he's, he's moving amongst his church and he's going, you know, it's time, it's time for maturity. It's time for us to grow a little bit. In God, and it's it's exciting to have those mountaintop times. And I talked a bit about last week. You know, it's easy to worship God and, and be faith-filled on a mountaintop, but when you're down in a valley, that's really the time that 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 our lives are changed and shaped and molded. It's what we do in the valleys that really make the difference. And that's how the church was first recognised: was this bunch of people in an incredible valley responding by spreading the word of God, responding by keeping the kingdom as the focal point of their life. And people looked at them and go, "Man, these people are little Jesus-type people." And that's where the, the, the Christians at Antioch were first believers were first called Christians. It was in it was looking at these people not performing miracles, not preaching great, not seeing thousands saved. Why was it not until then? And you look at the story 
story and you see this bunch of people who've had everything taken away from them, but they go out there and preach the gospel anyway. And the world around them made the connection goes, that's, you know what, they remind me of Jesus. This man that went to the cross, this man that was beaten, that was broken, that had his beard ripped, that was spat upon, whose friends turned and ran away, who was criticized and ridiculed, who was lied about, who was taken and nailed to a tree in public view for all the world to see. And through the whole process, not once did he deny the reality of who he was, who God was. He stood firm on what he had to say, stood firm on his convictions and his beliefs. And at Antioch, when the church was scattered after the death of, of Stephen, the Bible says that they looked at these people and said, man, these guys are showing the same characteristics of their Lord and Saviour of Jesus. They're doing the same thing. They're, they're clinging to this message, this word, this hope, this faith, same as what he did, and they're even being prepared to be killed for it too. There's a connection point happening there. And it's how we respond in those valley moments, I think, that really shape and mould our life. Okay, so I want to kind of, I guess in one sense, continue a little bit down that maturity process. I was down in Sydney this week, I took Jonathan down, and he was playing in a touch football tournament down there. Uh, we drove down after church, it was a, quite a full week, it was three days down there, and, and he played fantastic, had a great time down there. But an interesting thing happened, they played nine games in three days, ten games. Nine games were round games where they got points for winning and so on. And what was interesting about Jonathan's team was this. In nine games, they had, I think it was five draws? Four draws in nine games. They drew with four teams. The couple of wins they had, they just scraped over the line and won. One game they got trashed by the team that eventually won the tournament from Newcastle. They were, they were just another level. Um, but all these games, they were, they were really tight. They were either one-point losses or, or point two wins or draws. And when I went up and looked at the ladder and looked at all the other teams, you know, there was no other team that was in their situation. It was really funny. At one point there, they were sitting on equal third with five other teams, yet they'd only had one loss. Some of these other teams had two, three. The disparity between wins and losses was amazing. These guys just had this consistent uh, ability to draw with just about everybody or to just make it over or just make it under. Every team bar the ones that eventually won this is a really common thing in sporting terms. And sporting psychologists, deal, they call it this. They call it playing to the level of your opposition. Anyone ever heard that term? If you follow sport long enough, you will know that there are teams that just, there's this barrier and they play at the level of their opposition all the time. In other words, they can play against a team that they should absolutely trounce, that's, that's woe, woefully beneath them. And they will either draw or just scrape over the top. They just beat them. And you're scratching your head going, man, you should have beat them by a thousand. You just got over. Now I'll come up against a team that is miles ahead of them. So far ahead, it's not funny. And you'll think they're going to get trounced. But they'll compete and maybe just lose by one or two points. And they have this ability to just beat the weaker team, just get beat by the top team. And you look at the disparity between it and it's like... There's no consistency. What they do is they consistently play to whatever level the opposition is. If I'm playing against a really good team, they put in a great performance. And as a coach, I've seen this. I coach a, a lot of um, touch football representative sides over the years, and a lot of teams are known for it. We can go away to a tournament. And man for man on paper, we've just got one of the best sides. And we'll go out there against a the team that we should trounce, and we'll just beat them by one. And you're scratching your head afterwards going, where did that come from? And then we'll go to the next game, and you'll think, man, they're going to get flogged here because this team's really, really good. And then they'll go and play this next thing and just get beat by one. And you're going, if you played in that game like you did there in the previous game, you've got to beat them by 50. Why can't you do that? And it's called playing to the level of your opposition. It got me thinking while I was watching the team. I thought, 
I wonder how many of us as Christians, as believers, suffer from the same thing. We spend our whole life playing to the level of our opposition. Playing to the level of the opposition. Doing just enough to kind of get by in terms of our spiritual life. Doing just enough to sort of stay on top. Do we play? It's a question. I want to ask you a question. Is your spiritual life like that? Do you play to the level of your opposition? People who play to the level of their opposition never reach their fullest potential in life. Teams that play to the level of their opposition never go out there and put it all together on the field and show the world what they've got. And I think individuals who, never, who, who spend their whole life playing to the level of their opposition, they never reach their fullest potential as well. We all know people like this. Um, if, if I want to use a practical term, we've all worked with people and their mentality is I'll just do enough just to keep my job, but nothing more. Anyone ever worked with people like that? When I was a manager at Dan Murphy's, we had lots of people like that. They'd, they'd come in and they would just beg you for a job and they would pass and tick the boxes and really look like they want to be here. But then you'd give them the job and they'd get into work and they would do just enough. They'd do the bare minimum, just enough to keep their job, but they would not do anything over and above. Aren't they frustrating, the kinds of employees? They're frustrating people because there's so much more potential in them. There's so much more they could do, but they've got this mentality where I'll just do enough that I don't get fired. I'll just do enough to scrape by. You know, I was really blessed a few months ago. I went to pick up um, Jordan. He was finished the shift at, at um, Kmart there in Ballina. And I was waiting in the car out the front, and Jordan had finished his shift, and he came on out. And here's what he did. I watched him come over and grab some shopping trolleys, and he wheeled them over. And he pushed him into the shopping trolley bay at the front door. And then he turned around, and then he came and hopped in the car. And I said to him when he got in the car, I said, man, that's fantastic what you just did then. You didn't have to do that. You weren't going to lose your job if you didn't do that. You'd already done your job. You'd already ticked the boxes and done what was required of you. But what you just did then put you into another realm. What you just did then, you went above and beyond what was expected of you. You didn't just play to the level of the opposition in that situation. As a matter of fact, you, you, you didn't look like an employee in that moment. You looked like you owned the business. You didn't look like you were working for somebody. You looked like you were working in something. You, know, you looked like you treated it like you were the boss, like that was your thing. Because that's what that mentality does, you know? But how many of us spiritually do we do just enough to get by? Like just enough to stay in the game so we can't get fired, so to speak but really not enough to go on and make a difference. Really not enough to go on and shake the world. Really not enough to go on and build ourselves up spiritually and strengthen ourselves. It's just a question that I found myself pondering while I was down there in Sydney. And I thought about my own life. And I thought, what does it mean spiritually to play to the level of the opposition? I've just a few thoughts. Sometimes we can allow the devil to determine how much we press into God. Sometimes we can allow the devil to determine how passionate we'll be about God. How many of you have had a situation in your life where you desperately needed to see breakthrough? You really needed God to come through for you. The, 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 the devil was doing something. You were sick. You were broke. You were, your marriage was falling apart. Uh, you were about to lose your job. Something like that. And you just press into God in that moment. All of a sudden you find this reserve to really press into God that wasn't there a week ago when you were on top of the mountain. Anyone ever find that? And, you, and you can, you, all of a sudden, a week ago, you were saying, well, I don't really have time to pray. But now, all of a sudden, you've got all the time in the world. You're finding time, left, right, and center opportunities everywhere to press into God and to pray. Anyone ever 
Been there? I've been there. How many of you, have, you, 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 you cruise through and you, you pick up the Word of God, maybe just every now and then when you kind of feel like you've got the time? I might pick up the, the Bible, you know. And I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, my, one of my fears with this modern generation is, 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 is you spend, people spend more time on Facebook reading about other people's lives than they do in the Word of God. It's terrible. First thing people look at, last thing they look at, Facebook, social media, Instagram, all this stuff. I'm not bagging it. I'm just saying, man, this, this book will change your life more than that stuff will. That stuff will confuse your life, fill your head. This will change your life for, for positive. But um, how many of us, we, we need an answer from God. We want to, so, so, we, so we find time. Man, we're in that Word of God and we're digging around and we're maybe studying uh, a topic or trying to find an answer or trying to work out something. And we're in it and, and because we're in a crisis and because we need something, man, we find the time all of a sudden. But then when the pressure's taken off, the situation's resolved and it's over, we take those steps back and we go back to just doing the bare minimum what needs to be done. And all of a sudden the excuses become relevant again. We begin to accept the fact that I just can't pray or I just don't have time to read the Bible or I don't this or I don't that. So the devil can kind of set the agenda for how we press into God. He turns the screws, so we press in. He loosens them and so we back off. It's kind of weird, but if you think about it, it's playing to the level of the opposition. He's determining how much we press into God or, or how little we press into God by how much pressure he's putting on us at the time. We can also allow the current culture to do the same thing. Now, I think I've just mentioned, you know, I only put time aside for prayer about once or twice a week, yeah, but so does everybody else. That's all everybody does. I've read this. I mean, I'm a pastor. I've read the statistics. Most pastors pray about 12 minutes a week or something like that is the, the time that most the surveys and that they did a few years ago. I think it was America, but I'd say uh, possibly potentially in Australia maybe similar too. You know, pastors pray on average 12 to 25 minutes a week. So if, because that's what pastors do, they pray to Then that's okay. I'm okay. They only pray about that. That's all right. So I can allow them to set the level of where I play out. I can allow them to set and determine for me what's acceptable and what's not. Is that acceptable? I don't know. I go to Matthew 6 and I see Jesus making this statement to his disciples. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the Pharisees. He didn't say if you pray. Jesus said, and when you pray. In other words, I'm just expecting you're going to pray. That's what we do. You know, he also said, and when you fast. He didn't say, and if you decide to fast, just going, look, as part of the culture of who we are as believers, I'm just making the assumption that you're going to fast because it's one of the spiritual disciplines we do. So he says, so when you fast, you know, go and wash your face. Don't stand there going, oh, I'm so hungry. He gives them some ground rules and things about it and some. But he says, but when you do. But we can easily look around at the culture and go, oh, well, you know what? I know that you know, most of my friends, they, they don't read the Bible every day, so it's okay. I don't really need to make sure that I pick up the Word of God and put some, something in my spirit and feed my spirit daily. Most people don't do it. If everybody's not, that's okay. You know? Because if everybody jumped off the Harbour Bridge, we'd what? Isn't that basic? That's what we tell our kids, isn't it, when they grow up? Well, if everybody jumped off the Harbour Bridge, would you do that too? You ever heard that? My, my, my older generation around me said that to me all the time growing up. Well, but they're doing it. But they're doing it. You know, that would be your excuse. Why do you want to do it? Well, because everybody else... Well, if they all jumped off the Harbour Bridge, would you do it too? And my answer was, yep. I probably would, love. Anyway. But we can allow the standard to be set by others. We can still play spiritually to the level of the opposition. We can be like that employee I just mentioned who does just enough to keep the job, but nothing above and beyond it. You know, I think the church that wins, and I think believers that go forward and make a difference in the world are those who break out of that. I think God calls us to something higher than that. I think God wants us to be uh, more consistent than that. I think God doesn't want us to 
spend our whole spiritual life, work life, school life, employment life, whatever, playing to the level of the opposition and letting other people set the boundary and the standard for what's acceptable. I think God expects a little bit more out of his people. That's just my opinion. I feel like God expects a bit more maturity out of his church and he expects us to rise above that and to press into him and to adopt spiritual discipline in our life and to think about our spiritual well-being, to think about the strength of our spirit as well. I think God expects that from us. You see, I think part of the problem is this, grace. Grace. Now let me explain what I mean. You are saved by grace unequivocally. You cannot do a thing to earn your salvation. You cannot impress God. You can, you, can, you can hop on one foot and juggle ten swords and it's not going to impress God enough to let you into heaven. You can dress up in the nicest Armani suit and drive up to the pearly gates in the most fancy car. God's not going to let you into heaven. You can preach to the biggest crowd and have the most number of hands go up in that meeting and people tickle the belly of Jesus and go, I'll, I'll accept... It's not going to impress him. You can heal the sick, raise the dead, do all these things. It's not going to get you into heaven. You are saved by grace through faith. That's it, full stop. You can't add anything to it. Do we agree with that? We are saved by grace. We are saved by what Jesus did on the cross and our acceptance of that and our choice to allow that to be uh, having taken place in lieu of us and to make a decision to turn from our own selfish ways and to walk with God in the power of the Holy Spirit and to accept the forgiveness that's on offer to us, not because we earned it, but because Jesus died so we could have it. That's saved by grace. But here's the thing. We're saved by grace. In other words, your salvation, God took center stage. But we grow by effort. You're saved by grace, but we grow by effort. See, I think some people think we're saved by grace. We'll just grow by grace too. We just sit back and it doesn't really matter what we do. We'll just grow. How many of you don't care what you eat? Don't matter, because you'll just grow anyway, won't you? Or do you want to grow a certain way? No? Oh, I don't care. I mean, you, looking at me, I feel like a hypocrite saying that right now. Around here, I'm, it's just the Holy Spirit. I'm getting more and more anointed. But we think about what we eat. We think about what goes into our body. Why? Because naturally we, 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 we don't just think, well, you know, we're born. We, we, we're born by grace. You had no say in it. You were kind of born naturally by grace. It was somebody else's effort and work that got you onto this planet in the first place. But now that you're here, shouldn't you just grow by grace? I mean, you'll just grow. Try getting a baby and not feeding a baby milk. Try not eating vegetables as you grow up. Try not exercise. Try not thinking about the things that you need to to get a body to grow and see what ends up happening. But we would never do that because we know enough about our physical body and physical growth. We care enough about it to realise that we've got to do some things, make some choices and have some discipline in order for this physical body of ours to grow. Well, it's no different in the spirit. It's no different spiritually. There are disciplines that we need. There are things we need to think about and there's effort to be made on our part if we're going to grow spiritually. Let me, let, let's turn in the Bible to 1 Corinthians real quick. First Corinthians chapter 3. I want to show you something. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. <coughs> Just because it's a little bit easier, I think, for people that may come into church that don't have a church background. It's a bit of an easier language to follow. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, it says this. Paul wrote into the Corinthians, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't 
I couldn't talk to you. Now note this, he didn't say I wouldn't. He didn't say I don't want to talk to you. He said I couldn't. There was a barrier, there was a reason why I couldn't talk to you on a bit more mature or deeper level. He says I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. Watch this, and you still aren't ready. Imagine being that church. Imagine being that congregation sitting there, and and the pastor gets up and he says, you know what, here's the reality. There's things I want to say to you. And by the way, it's not Paul saying, Paul's going, God's giving me things that I want to pass on to you, but I can't give them to you because you're just not ready. Not only, not only could when I came to you, could I not give it to you, because he's not delivering this, he's delivering this by a, a letter. He says, not only when I was there, were you not ready? But he says, guess what? You're still not ready. There's this sense of oh, bewilderment on Paul's part. In other words, you should be ready by now. I can't believe that with the time you've had in your spiritual walk with God, that you are not ready yet to receive a little bit of meat, but you're still drinking milk. Milk's for babies. Milk's necessary and needed, but then when a baby gets to a certain point, his diet changes. This is what Paul's saying. He says, I had to feed you. I didn't want to feed you milk. I wanted to give you something a bit more. In other words, I wanted you to put down the two kilo dumbbells that you're picking up with your spiritual arms, and I wanted to give you a five kilo dumbbell to pick up, but I couldn't because you're obviously not exercising with the two kilo dumbbells, so your muscles aren't growing, so you can't handle the five kilo dumbbells. Ever seen these guys at the gym that pumping themselves and... Well, you know, like they all, and it, it just amazes me. No, they stand in front of the mirror. Do you do this, Rolf? Do you stand in front of the mirror and just to make sure that always? Okay, at least you're honest. And they stand there and, and they'll pump away and they'll do their exercises and all this kind of stuff in front of a mirror, just, you know, different angles to make sure it's all there. Just want to make sure that I'm working the right muscles and that the right ones are flexing. And, and, and it was that girl, oh, she, there's a better view for it. She can see me now, yeah. Huh? I've seen the guys do You might not. I've seen the guys. Hey, see, you're going <laughs> to. Yeah. We'll talk later. I'm telling you, Dad. Um, but we see these guys and they're, they're, they're pumping. You know, spiritually, it's the same thing. Our spirit is, is, if you want to liken it to a muscle, if we don't take care of that side of our life, and if we don't pick up those dumbbells, and we don't do the things that we know to do right now, we just don't get stronger. You know, some of us wonder why God won't speak to us. Some of us wonder why my relationship may feel a bit stale. God's not telling me things. I wonder for some of us, I wonder, I wonder, I wah, 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 wonder. Why? Oh, why, 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 why? He went away. My little runaway. I wonder sometimes whether God's going, well, I've got a five kilo dumbbell for you, but you're not doing anything with the two. Why would I give you a five? Why would I, why would I tell you this when you're not even doing this? I've asked you to do this, and you won't do this, and you're coming back asking for more instructions. And I'm, why would I give you more instructions? 
I'd be giving you something you can't handle because you're not doing this. I wonder sometimes, I wah-wah, wah-wah wonder. God, show me this. God, give me that. God, do this, do that. And God's saying, well, I've actually given you a few basics to get started on, but you don't do them. Why would I keep giving you more? You know, Jesus said once to the Pharisees, he made this startling statement to them. He said to the Pharisees, the keepers of the gate, he said to them these words, he said, you have never heard the Father. Never heard him. You know why? Because they'd already determined they're not going to do what he said anyway. (laughs) They weren't going to do what he said. So why would God give you a five kilo dumbbell if you're not going to pick up a two and start using it? It's maturity. Doing the things that we know to do. Exercising spiritual disciplines. Moving forward in our life. I I would hope that if Jesus came to to the church, if, if Jesus suddenly came here in physical bodily form and stood in front of us, and I'll personalize it to me, I hope he wouldn't look at me and go, Alan, I've got so much more for you. I want to give you meat, Al. But I can't. Not that I don't want to. I can't. I've got to keep giving you milk because you're just not ready. You're just not ready. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 5, <coughs> verse 11 to 14. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. The writer of the Hebrews says this to the church. He says, There's much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Man, you guys have got it easy. I'd never say that to you. (laughs) I say this kind of stuff to myself all the time, but that's different. Imagine getting up and saying to the con, you know what, look, I want to say a few more things to you guys, but bottom line, you're too stupid. How would that go down? It wouldn't go down really good, would it? Yet this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'd like to say more, but you're spiritually dull and it looks by your actions that you don't listen because you're not doing anything that you're hearing. So I've got to make one of two assumptions. Either you're not listening or you're just in pure disobedience to what you know is right. So I'm going to go easy on you and say it appears that you're not listening. I'll take the easy option. I'll just say you're not listening because the other option is quite frightening. You're actually deliberately disobeying what you know to be right. That's not a good option. Especially dull and don't seem to listen. My wife's got to go to work, so. See, she didn't even listen to me then. See you <laughs> Spiritually dull and don't listen. You've been believers, watch this, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. You've been believers for so long now, verse 12, that you ought to be teaching Others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. In other words, you've been believers. You've been hanging around church long enough. You've had the Spirit of God inside you long enough. You've been saved long enough. You should now be contributing to the expansion of the kingdom. You should be teaching other people this stuff. Can you hear the amazement in his voice? You've been around the church so long 
You should have some of these things down pat. Matter of fact, not only should you have some of these things under control now, you should be able, you should be taking, you should be discipling other people now and helping other people get a grip of some of these things. You should have discipline in your prayer life, so now you're helping other people learn about how to get discipline in their prayer life. You should be uh, uh, regularly in the Word of God and worked it out and seeing the impact of that and how it can transform your life and the difference it makes to your day when you prioritize God to the point now where you can take that, not just that knowledge, but that experience, that wisdom and, and stuff and go, look, I've been there, done this is what... I... You should be able to help other people with some of this stuff. You've been saved long enough, you should be able to sit down with someone and go, you know what, you want to get saved? Here's, here's, here's the process, here's what happens. Here's what salvation is. This is what he's saying to them. You should be teaching other people. Here's the thing. Growth doesn't come by time. Growth comes with effort. Saying you've been believers long enough now. You know, I know people who have known the Lord for two, three years. And I would look at them and say, man, you are a mature believer. You've got discipline in your life. You're prioritizing God. You're in the word. You pray. You're responding godly to situations. Uh, you've got the basics down pat. You can explain uh, things on a basic level to people. I also know people that have been in the church for 20, 30 years who are immature. Time doesn't cause growth. Effort is what's required. Discipline is what's required. It's what he's saying. You've been a believer for so long, naturally thinking you should be, but because you put no effort into it, because all you cared about maybe is your business, so all you prioritized is your physical body, all you prioritized was your intellect and your mind, and you didn't care about your spirit. Time alone doesn't produce growth spiritually. It may produce a physical body that grows, time alone, but time alone won't produce spiritual growth. There's effort and there's energy, there's stuff on our part that we have to do. I want to finish with this. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 8. It says this. It says, In view of all this, all this stuff that he's writing to him about, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. And then he goes on, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. So you've got a foundation here of faith. Now I want you to add to that faith, if come to a knowledge of Christ, add moral excellence. So start working on being excellent. Now let's add that to your faith. And to your moral excellence, let's, let's add a bit of knowledge. Now knowledge in New Testament terminologies is experiential. It's not just fill your head with filing, it's experiential. So as you, you've got faith and then you, you begin to walk a morally excellent life and as you do that, you begin to interact with God. You start doing things God's way. You stand by your principles and the values of the kingdom and so on and you begin to gain knowledge, not just head knowledge, but you begin to experience. This is what happens when you do that. This is knowledge. And it keeps on going from there. Next verse there. It says, a knowledge at self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection, a brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you add to your faith this and add to this, 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 he's talking about progress. 
And he starts by saying, make every effort. Who makes the effort? Who makes the effort? You do. You do. He's writing saying, you make every effort to add this, add this, add this, add this. You've got a part to play in this whole thing. You've got a part to play in building your spirit and maturing. Maturity doesn't come just because you've been around for a long time. It comes because you put the effort and the energy in to the spiritual disciplines required to grow. And he goes on and he says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, don't do this, and guess what? You will be unproductive and useless in your knowledge of God. We can be unproductive and useless in our knowledge of God. Just ask the Pharisees. Just ask a lot of people sitting in churches today who don't discipline themselves. They don't pray, they don't read their Bible, they come along to a nice social meeting. When somebody's sick, they've got no idea how to pray, they don't have any authority from heaven upon their life. They go to water under pressure. They're fair with their friends, they're in and out. Because there's no level of maturity there. He says you have to make every effort. And if you don't make every effort to, to mature spiritually and to grow, guess what? You'll be sitting here in 30 years' time, sitting in church, clapping your hands, raising your hands, listening to messages, giving in offerings, doing all the stuff. But you'll be useless in your knowledge of God. In other words, you will not be a contributor to the kingdom of God. You will not be somebody that God can call upon and build upon and use to make a difference in the world. And that's what we're here for. God wants mature believers because mature believers make a difference. Immature believers make as big a difference in the world as immature people. Okay? God wants his church to grow up. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to get beyond this mentality of what's in it for me. Mature people go, hey, I've got it all. What can I do? What can I give? Where can I contribute? God, use me. I had an interesting conversation the other day with a person. He made this statement. He's only been a believer for a few years. He made this statement. He said, <laughs> he said, I was just driving around the other day and I thought to myself, you know how I always pray and tell God what I want. So I suddenly thought, God, I wonder... I wonder if it's I wonder who God talks to. Is what he said to me. I wonder who God goes to when he wants something. When he's got a need. And so he said, I I I wondered, maybe I should ask God, God, what do you want? And he's asking me this like it's an immature question. Like there's something wrong with asking this question. I mean, my heart just leapt out of my chest. I thought Man, that is so mature, you don't even realize it. That is such a mature approach to your spirituality and to the kingdom. God, what do you want? You know what I want because I'm constantly telling you all day, every day. God, what do you want? That's a mark of a mature believer. God, what do you want to do on planet Earth today? Lord, what's your agenda for my life? Just my agenda, not me telling. What do you want? What am I here for, God? What's the purpose and what's the plan? Make every effort so that we don't end up immature. I'm about to start exercising because I've got a big tournament coming up. Uh, end of the year, I go away to Port Macquarie every year and still play touch football at the state championships. I'm a 
uh, coach of the over 40s and I play in the over 40s for Ballina and and um, 45 I'm at that tipping point now where the next division's 50 so I'm kind of now all the 39 year olds are coming through and I'm going oh man I don't know if I like this every year around the same time I make a decision I say to myself I'm going to start going down and running three four times a week and really get the fitness up so when I get down there I'll just smash it this year you know I say that every year and you know what happens about two weeks out I go oh it's only two weeks I better start running you know and I get down there and I'm puffing and panting and I've got a level of fitness but to compete at that level you need a lot more uh, fitness than probably what I allow myself to to get but every year I say I'm going to do it and I don't do it you know why I don't do it because here's the reality I haven't made the decision yet to make every effort I haven't. I think I have, but I have not made the decision to make every effort to be fit enough for that tournament. So it comes and it goes, it comes and it goes. You know how we're under pressure and we press into God? We press into God and we press into God and then we're not and we back off and we get disciplined for a bit and then we don't. I often wonder, God, how would I respond to that valley experience if when I was on the mountain I pressed into you in the same way? A little bit like me starting to run now and get my fitness up now so that when I actually need it, it's there. Not waiting and going, oh, geez, I've got to run in two weeks, so I better get fit now. I've got two weeks to do it. And panic, panic, panic. Imagine if I just did that all year round. When I got to these tournaments, I'd be ready. Imagine how you may respond when the enemy comes at you hard. You've already built that spiritual muscle. It's not like I've got to suddenly press into God and, and go really hard because I'm, I'm living in that place anyway. That's where I am. Does that make sense? It's a challenge for me. Anyway. I just want to ask that question. Are you strengthening your spirit? If Jesus was to come to you tonight and sit on the end of your bed, what would he say? Would he speak to you like he did the Hebrews? Would he speak to you like he did the Corinthians? Or would he look you in the eye and go, you know what, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I want to just thank you, Lord, for uh, today, God, and this time that we've had together. And uh, Lord, again, um, God, vegetables are good for us. I know that. Uh, Lord, I pray that these vegetables would get down into the bones and the roots and the marrow of our life and you'd change us. God, we don't want to play church. We don't want to play spiritual games, God. We want to make a difference for you, God, corporately together as a rise, but also individually. We want to make a difference in this world. We want to expand the kingdom of God. And God, we want to be mature. Father, we take care of our bodies, our minds. Lord, we need to take care of our spirits as well, Father. So I just pray, Lord, you would just uh, seal this word in our heart. God, don't let the enemy take it away when we walk out of here. God, I pray it wouldn't just fall away. And, but God, you'd let it take root and we would think about these things. We would think about our spiritual progress. We would think about where we're at with you. We would think about our spiritual disciplines and our spiritual life, Father. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great, fantastic week. I dare you, I dare you to tell someone about Jesus that doesn't know him. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you to pray for a sick person. I dare you to pray for a sick person. I double dare you. I double dare you. I try.